Moreland's College for three years, if any of you know, know where Moreland's College is. And then, uh, and then we spent um, eight years on the mission field. Um, that was in Mexico City. My wife and I uh, had been involved previous to going to Bible College, setting up a, a ministry for street children, helping street children leave the streets of Mexico City. Ginormous city, um, huge, huge place, 30, 35, 40 million people all in one city, one of the largest urban metropolises in the world. And UNICEF estimate that there's around 800,000 homeless children and young people just in that city alone. So a massive job, massive task. Uh, but God put on our hearts to go and to start a project and to work ourselves out of a job. You've heard the old proverb, you know, don't give people fish, but teach them to fish for themselves. So we very much, uh, we thought we were going to be there for a decade, decade and a half maybe. Uh, but after eight years, uh, we saw that the project was established. By that time, I was helping out with church planting and training uh, church leaders. Uh, but God called us back to the UK. So we've been back now for a year um, and we're still praying about what, what the long term looks like. But for now, we're back in the Bay. Uh, I'm serving as a chaplain, um, both out on the railways, um, which is a fascinating uh, job um, amongst train, the train operating companies, Network Rail and the British Transport Police. Um, and as well doing a bit of chaplaincy up at the hospital. So, and, and helping out Upton Vale right now, um, we value your prayers. Um, we're two pastors down at the moment. Our senior pastor and associate pastor uh, both left. Um, and so I'm, myself and David Coffey are doing, sharing out the, the preaching and the, the pastoral care there at Upton Vale. So we value your prayers for Upton Vale, and I bring greetings from them to you this morning. Um, and I'll, I'll be taking them back next Sunday from you all. And it's, uh, it's great to be a part of the family of God. And you are so blessed here um, in this church with so many children and young people. It's just fantastic to see the widespread of ages that you have here in this church. It's, it's a really real blessing for me to be here with you this morning. And I was also blessed. I don't know who, who's in charge of picking the passages uh, for this series that you're on. But I was also blessed to be given this passage, Matthew 15, which we're going to read together now. And look out together now. When I, when I go to places, I tend to take a sermon maybe that I preach somewhere else and bring it. And uh, so this is fresh bread this morning. This, is, this has a wonderful aroma about it and something that I'm excited um, and blessed to share with you this morning as I've studied this passage throughout the week. So we're going to start at verse 24, Matthew 15, 24 through to 28. So leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out, to you. Keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, is it not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we invite you to be the one who speaks to us through your word now. 
May my words be simple, straightforward and easy to understand. Open our hearts to receive what you want to say to each and every one of us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the the title of this morning's message that I want to ask as we look at this passage is, What is Great Faith? Jesus said to this woman, Your great faith, you have great faith. What does great faith mean? Why does Jesus describe this odd situation? For those of us reading, sitting here in, in Great Parts Chapel on the 22nd of October 2017, reading this passage about Jesus calling someone a dog, I mean, what... and you know, not answering her request. What's going on here? What, what's this passage all about? And uh, what I want to do this morning is to shine a light on what was going on in the first century at that time, maybe understand a little bit of the dynamics that were going on between Jesus and this woman. And uh, as we go through, answer this question about what is great faith. Now, I want to start off by uh, sharing with you what great faith isn't. And I'm sure many of you have heard this story before but for those of you who haven't it's worth repeating a terrible storm came into the town and local officials sent out an emergency warning that the riverbanks would soon overflow and that the floods nearby uh, were coming into people's homes so they ordered everyone in the town to evacuate immediately but there was a faithful christian man who heard the warnings and decided to stay saying to himself i will trust god and I, if I'm danger, then God will send a divine miracle to help me, to save me. The neighbors came by the house and said to him, we're leaving and there's room for you in our car. Please come with us. But the man declined. I have great faith that God will save me. The man stood on his porch watching, watching the water rise up the steps. And then a canoe came paddling by and called to him, hurry, quick, come into my canoe. The waters are rising quickly, but the man said again, No thanks, God will save me. The flood waters rose higher, pouring into the living room, and the man had to retreat to the second floor. A police motorboat came by and saw him at the window and said, We will come up and rescue you, they shouted. But the man refused, waving them off, saying, Use your time to save someone else. I have faith that God will save me. The flood waters rose higher and higher, and the man had to climb up onto his rooftop. And a helicopter spotted him and dropped a ladder and said, said to him, grab my hand and I will pull you up. But the man still refused, folding his arms tightly to his body and said, no, thank you. God will save me. Shortly after that, the house broke up and the floodwaters swept the man away and he drowned. When in heaven, the man stood before God and asked, I put all my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? And God said to him, son, I sent you a warning, I sent you a car, I sent you a canoe, I sent you a motorboat, I sent you a helicopter. What more were you looking for? So that's a sign of not what great faith is. This man clearly was missing the point that God was there sending him help. So let's go back to our passage then this morning. What is great faith? And uh, interestingly enough, everybody has faith. Um, Even people who don't know God have faith in some way. Even the fact... You came in this morning, sat on these chairs this morning. You had faith that as you sat down, the chair was strong enough to hold you up. Everyone in some ways has a little bit of faith out on our streets today. But we know that what biblical faith is um, comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. is a great definition of that, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of the things we cannot see. 
And in biblical terms, um, there's really two definitions for faith. Yes, there's the secular faith that we can have that as we get into our car and we turn the ignition, all the internals are going to work and the car's going to start and we're going to be able to drive off. There's that kind of faith. But really, in terms of biblical faith, there are two types of faith. And this is a quote from R.T. Kendall who says there's basically two kinds of faith, saving faith and persistent faith. Saving faith, also called justifying faith, and that's what we're talking about this morning as we're reading those passages together, is what makes you fit for heaven because Christ's righteousness is put to your credit. That means there's nothing we can do to get into heaven. The only thing we can do is trust in Jesus and he is the one who saves us. You can't earn God's love. Um, You can't take it away. God loves us. It's a free gift that's given to every single one of us and we put our faith in him and he saves us. And we have that security and that reward. And nobody can take that away from us. But then there's also persistent faith. Persistent faith, however, is what gets you your inheritance because you were obedient. Examples of inheritance by persistent faith are in Hebrews chapter 11, which I've already mentioned. And if if you ever, during the week, want to have a read through Hebrews chapter 11, it's this wonderful chapter of all these amazing heroes Um, throughout the Bible, who were just like us, who had rotten, horrible stories, who who messed up in life. But but the Bible doesn't talk about that. What the Bible talks about is the fact that they put their faith in Jesus, uh, in God, and God rewarded that obedience in them. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, describes two people as having great faith. Uh, One was the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, also a Gentile. And then there's this lady who is also described as having great faith. Now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is someone who wasn't Jewish, basically. So the Jewish pe- you have the Jewish people, the people of God, the people of Israel. And then you have everybody else who is described as Gentiles. And this lady was a Gentile. Uh, the Roman centurion was a Gentile. But they were the only two people in the Gospel of Matthew who were described as having great faith. Now, what you've got to remember about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew was, uh, even though it's the first gospel in our Bibles, it was probably the second or the third gospel to be written. And it was specifically written to the Jewish people to remind them that Jesus was the Messiah. Throughout Matthew, there are more uh, prophecies from the Old Testament than any other gospel writer. So Matthew's concern is to write to the Jewish people and point the finger that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who has been sent by God, Yet we see these two Gentile people, these two non-Jewish people who Jesus describes as having great faith. So what is this great faith? The first thing that we see from verses 21 to 22 is the foundation of great faith. What almost has to exist there um, in order to exercise this great faith? And the first thing we see is that this woman is acting out of desperation. Uh, She's coming to Jesus. You can hear it uh, in her plea. And any of you that are parents here, you'll know that if you have a child who's poorly or if you have a child who's in trouble, you'll do anything uh, for that child. So here she is coming to Jesus in great desperation. And this woman was a resident of Tyre and Sidon. And uh, most people there probably worship Asharate, who who was a pagan god who they worship at that time. And actually, interestingly, um, only only three, three miles northwest of Sidon, there was a temple dedicated to another god, Ishmun, who was um, the god of healing. 
for the pagans. So, so she probably had spent many weeks, months uh, praying to this God, this pagan God, uh, to heal her daughter. But she knows that, well, we know, don't we? We have the great privilege of knowing that Jesus is the, own, is the way, the truth, and the life. Only he is the one who can bring um, that powerful miracle into our lives. Yet she was looking elsewhere. And uh, that was fine while everything was going, going well. But at the time when trouble came to her house and she reached this point of desperation, she finds herself coming to Jesus. And we, do, we find so many people in our world in desperation today, don't we? Maybe some of you have come this morning with desperate situations in your lives. Just this week, I was in uh, the children's ward up at Torbay Hospital uh, visiting a young girl with an eating disorder. Um, just a child, just a desperate situation for that family. I was also reading in a national newspaper recently that thousands of people are living in poverty, obviously millions around the world, but to a certain degree, some people are living in poverty here in our country as well. And uh, this article was based around what, what, what about the people who are at most risk of slipping into poverty and making things worse. So they did a study. Uh, they joined forces with a university and an organization called Expedient. And they studied the UK. They looked at the UK and they said, what parts of the UK are most at risk of slipping into poverty? And what was interesting is that, uh, I'm just reading through the article here to work out I want to get through to the important bit. So yeah, after they did did all the studies, they took out all the people that were currently living in poverty and they looked at the people that were most at risk. It left Torbay at the top of that list, interestingly. They said in Torbay, 37% of all households fall into the at-risk category, um, which is around 22,000 homes. So right here on our own doorstep, uh, we have literally thousands of people who are at risk of slipping into desperate and dire situations, which makes us as the church of God, we need to remember that and we need to be aware of that. We need to be thinking uh, in our own families about how we can serve uh, the people of our community, but also as a church family, uh, both here at Great Parks at Upton Vale and the wider family of God here in Torbay. How can we be serving our community who are in desperate situations? So this is the first foundation of great faith, that the woman is acting out of desperation. The second is that the woman acts on her faith. She had heard about Jesus. She had heard about this Jewish Messiah uh, south in the south of, of the country who was healing people. But we also need to understand that faith in itself, again, is worthless to make sense or to have power unless it's placed in a trustworthy person. We can all put our faith in, in things that actually aren't going to help. The only, the only true place we can put our faith is in Jesus Christ. We put our faith and our hope in him, and he is a trustworthy person who will act on our behalf. So this is the foundation of her great faith, that she was desperate, and she turned to the one person who can make a difference, Jesus. But then we see the cultivation of this great faith, how this great faith uh, developed. First of all, we see that she was discouraged by the Lord's silence. She came to Jesus and said, help me, my daughter is possessed by a demon. And for me, this is one of the hardest parts of the Christian faith to understand. I'm sure there's been times in your life when you pray to God in desperation. You say, God, come and help me in this situation. And all we hear back is silence. You know, we think, where is God? Why isn't God answering my prayer? And uh, what's interesting about this woman, unlike us who 
are children of God and we come to God and yet we still hear this silence is she was a pagan and uh, she was despised by the Jewish people, by the religious establishment. And the nickname that they had for the Gentile people was literally to call them dogs. Not only that, she was a female and sadly at that time females were seen as lesser than men. Thank, Thank God that is changing and has changed now. But she approached Jesus She described him as the son of David. She recognized him as the Jewish Messiah. And she she came to him as a Gentile, as a woman. And she she entered into his presence, which would have been a real no-no for as a not only as a rabbi, not only as a man, for her, a woman, a Gentile to come into his presence was a huge no-no. But Jesus' silence here tested the woman's faith. And it's interesting in our day of instant gratification, uh, we can just go onto Amazon and order something and the next day it's there on our doorstep. Uh, We can type in an email and get a response right back from the other side of the world. It's amazing today that we live in this world where we get instant gratification. We can get things right at our fingertips. But God, God doesn't work like that. God has his timings. And when we cry out to God and all we hear is silence, This does test the genuineness of our faith. Do we really believe that God is listening? Do we really believe that God is going to answer our prayers? And we have to be honest about that this morning. Sometimes we don't get an answer right away. I've been praying for some of my family members for years and years and years um, who are far from God and just wondering, when is God going to turn up in their lives? And just this real burden for them. Um, But then just recently, as I say, we moved back to Torbay uh, we, we've been living in a temporary home for the last year and uh, some friends of ours who have moved out the area offered us their house to rent and it was, it was just with our, outside of our budget and we thought, oh, this is, this is a wonderful opportunity but I don't think we can afford to, to, to rent it. So we prayed to God and we said, God, if this is, if this is your provision for us, uh, then we're trusting you to provide for us. And literally two hours after we prayed that prayer, we had a text message from a friend who said, Look, I know you've been wanting to rent a house. Uh, we've been meaning to text you, ring you for days. Uh, but my wife and I want to give you this donation towards uh, being able to rent a house. Literally a couple of hours after we prayed, bam, the prayer was answered. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it does. Sometimes we pray for years and nothing happens. Sometimes we pray and things happen. And I don't have the answers. I don't know why that is. What I do know is that if we pray in accordance with God's will, Um, He is faithful to answer. So I'd encourage you to keep on going, keep on persevering in your prayers. So she's also discouraged by the annoyance of the disciples. Um, And, you know, we can see that sometimes, can't we, in in ourselves as a church, regular churchgoers, um, that we can see someone who's coming in utter desperation. We think, God, they've got to sort themselves out. Why are they coming, coming here to Jesus? Surely they should... Pick, them up, pick themselves up by the bootstraps and get their lives organized. I know I've been guilty of that sometimes, but, but we have to remember that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Um, the political system is not going to fix this country. Donald Trump is not going to fix this world. The only hope we have, the only hope of the world, is Jesus Christ and his church. We are his church. We are the hope of the world. And then she was also discouraged uh, by Jesus' words to her. Um, when he says to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, what was going on there? Uh, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah born into the Jewish uh, community. He was, the Jewish people had a covenant with God 
And at that time, unless any of you have Jewish heritage here, uh, the rest of us, we were all outside of that covenant. We were all hopelessly lost. And yes, sometimes God did save people outside of that covenant. But as a whole, we were utterly lost. But, but if you read through Matthew, you can see the fingerprints of God at work, beginning to work among the Gentile people. And the good news is, if you ever study through the book of Romans, you'll see that now we are grafted into that same covenant, all of us. Um, Jesus died for every single one of us. We all have this opportunity to be in the covenant, to be saved by God. And just before this passage, uh, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees. He's arguing with the Jewish uh, people and he and he actually retreats he actually it says at the beginning of our passage leaving that place he left he got away he was frustrated uh, with his own people that they weren't listening to him or accepting him as messiah and then we come to this passage and here is jesus confronted by this gentile woman he's also confronted later on by the feeding of the four thousand uh, which is again a gentile population and he, uh, and he reaches out. And we can see here in Matthew that God is beginning to work, not just amongst his people, but amongst the people of the world. So what was her response? What's your response when you're discouraged by silence, when you're discouraged by other people in the church, when you're discouraged maybe even by what you feel like Jesus is saying? You ask for something. Can you feel like the answer you're getting back is no? How do we respond uh, when we're in amongst suffering, when we're in amongst pain, when things, when our finances are free the floor, when someone we love has just passed away, when we see our world getting in a more and more desperate state. What is our response? What is the woman's response? Well, it says here um, in the Greek, it's, in the English, it says she came and kneeled. In the, in the uh, Greek, the word literally means that she came and she worshipped Jesus. She fell before his feet and she began to worship him. And I wonder how, for how many of us our response in the midst of suffering is to worship. But worship and praise throughout the Bible um, is a sure sign that God will begin to work. Um, I haven't got time to go through them this morning, but if you study um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the story of Jehoshaphat, who is faced with this army coming towards him, the first thing that he did was to pray, and then the second thing that he did was to worship. He sent out the singers and the worshippers out ahead of the army, and then as a result of that, the amazing thing that happened was that the armies were defeated all through worship. All the walls of Jericho. How many of you remember that famous story? They turned up this amazing uh, army ready to fight the, the people of Jericho. They get, all, they get all their shields on, all their armor on. They're ready to go. They're ready to fight. And uh, God says, I, I want you to march around the walls uh, each day and I want you to... And they're like, what? You want us just to march around the walls? And then he said, on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And I want you to praise and worship me. And they must have been so embarrassed, thinking, this is embarrassing. You know, we're, we're fighting men. We're not, you know, why would we just worship God? But of course, we know the result of that is the walls came tumbling down and the city of Jericho was defeated. Or the end of um, Habakkuk, I love this. Um, and I read it here in the New Living Translation. It says, even though the fig trees have no blossom and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop has failed and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Utter desperation here. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're facing adversity, if you're facing discouragement, worship. It's an amazing, amazing remedy. I've sat uh, with people in deep, deep, dark depression and we stick on our worship, um, worship music and we, and we sing around them. We pray with them 
And it's amazing what it can do to your spirit and your soul. It's just so uplifting. Jack Hayford says that praise lays the foundation for God's ruling power to descend upon his throne and rule and intent to dwell in the middle of our muddle. Praise makes a place for God's rule, his throne to rest, and thereby begin to overrule the furies of hell that is working around us. And Bill Hymer says that here is the greatest value of praise. It decentralizes self. It takes the focus off ourselves. The worship and praise of God demands a shift of the center from self to God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're facing discouragement and pain, instead of telling God, how big your our problems are, we tell our problems how big our God is. Instead of telling God how big our problems are, we tell our problems how big our God is. So I want to move on to our penultimate point here as we, as we come to a close. Um, and that's, that's the, dem- the demonstration of great faith here. And again, uh, we have this moment where Jesus says, well, why would I... You know, why would I give uh, the children's food to the dogs? And he's, and, but, the, but again, the English doesn't help us here. If you look in the Greek, it actually uses the word uh, puppy um, or little dog. It's a, it's, a, um, it's a word that's used, that wasn't used to describe the Gentiles. Actually, Jesus was using uh, the word to describe like a pet dog that's living in the home. He's being actually kind and gentle to this woman. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm here to, for the people of Israel. Why would I give you what what I should be giving to them and this lady very cleverly is comes to him and demonstrates humility and doesn't demonstrate entitlement she doesn't come along and say well I think I deserve your blessing I think I deserve for my daughter to be healed she humbly comes to him and says yeah you're right but even the dogs get to have the scraps the crumbs and she recognized that even in the crumbs each recognizes that even in the crumbs there's a power tr- to transform. We know that even a, the faith as small as a mustard seed is enough to move mountains. And it's great that we sang that song this morning, that our Savior can move the mountains. So if you're facing a difficult situation today, if you're in desperation like this woman, all it takes, all it takes is a crumb to fall from God's table. And that's enough to bring the, f- the fourth point of this great faith, which is the reward of the great faith that he, Jesus didn't even have to be with this girl. He healed her from afar. And uh, she went home and she found that her daughter had been healed. So this is, a great, this is a great and fascinating passage. It's a passage that's hard to understand for us reading it in the 21st century. What's going on between this Jewish and this Gentile thing? Why is God, why does Jesus start off being silent? Then why does he start being hostile, hostile towards this woman? But we see that this woman had a foundation of great faith. And sometimes that foundation is painful. Sometimes we come to God, don't we, out of desperation. But then Jesus begins to cultivate that faith through his silence, through his opposition. And we see this woman becoming more and more desperate. And in the midst of it, she actually falls to her feet and she worships him. And then there's that demonstration of great faith and the reward of great faith. So, so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, I don't know you. I don't know the situations that you're facing but I promise you, if you're facing a, a challenge today, if we turn to him in worship and if we just rely on that, that mustard seed-like faith, it will be enough uh, to bring restoration, transformation. It, the prayer may not be answered how you expect, but you will grow closer to God in the midst of it. Let's pray together, shall we?
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that passage that we read together from 2 Timothy this morning, that all scripture is God-breathed. Lord, we know that this story is in in our word for a reason. It's here in our Bibles for a reason. And uh, as we seek to learn together this morning what you wanted to say to us, I just pray now that your word will be applied uh, to each and every one of our lives. Mm. Just pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us this week about something from this passage that you want to, where you want to bring transformation to our lives. Help us, Lord, when we face adversities and trials, not to complain, not to bicker, <coughs> not to have a sense of entitlement, Lord, but help us to worship you as the creator of the universe. We thank you for that song we sang this morning. Yes, we can come bold in confidence into the throne room of God, because, but it's only because of Jesus. Lord, help us never to forget that it's all because of him. Lord, we recognize that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But help us this morning to go out of here, recognizing our place as sons and daughters of the living God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who one day is coming back and there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more suffering. Lord, we long for that day so much. But we thank you, even now your kingdom is coming to earth. And Lord, we need it here in Torbay. We need it here in Devon. We need it here in our country. We need it in our world, Lord. We see so much pain and atrocity in our world. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And we invite you, Lord, to come into our lives and our weeks today. And so we worship you this morning and we give you all the honor and all the praise. Amen.